This is Comms Day Live. I'm Graham Lynch and welcome to the show. Obviously, we've been away for a few weeks, uh, uh, mainly because of Easter and Anzac Day, and then I lost my voice last week. Um, as much as I would love to do this podcast in mime, the technology's not quite there yet. Anyway, this week, um, we had a uh, our latest edition of the Comms Day Summit, our annual Sydney event. Um it was a terrific show, lots of speakers, lots of delegates, everyone glad to be back in action after a couple of years of COVID, which um, affected how events over, over that period. And um, of course, the added interest this year is in the, is in the uh, reality that we're in the middle of an election campaign. So we had a number of telco CEOs and leaders speaking throughout the two days, and all of them had a few things to say about the policy and regulatory regime, obviously with an ear to hopefully influencing the next parliament and potentially a new minister, if um, the polls are correct. Anyway, our first speaker on the first day was the CEO of Focus, Kevin Russell, who of course has been around the industry for a long time at all the major telcos, Telstra, Optus, Hutchison and so on. And Focus obviously has a slightly different, um, um, I guess, business model to, to the full service carriers. It's It's very much focused on its fibre backbone and, um, and and providing services more in an indirect way. In fact, he indicated that they were looking to spin off their legacy retail assets later this year, which gives you a sign of how they see their future. But Kevin had some particularly interesting comments to make about how he saw incentives or lack of incentives for private investment in telecom infrastructure, particularly in view of what he saw as mission creep from the NBN. Let's uh, listen to what he had to say. Wistful reflection on government telecom industry policy, if you'll, if you'll indulge me. We are three weeks out from an election. Uh, the first election following the formal completion of the NBN rollout. In the five federal elections since 2007, that's 15 years. Both major parties have presented different NBN policies and the government of the day has implemented the vision for the, for the NBN. With the NBN rollout complete, the current government's telecom policy has focused, has centred, has been fixated on maximising the value of the investment in NBN. This single focus is in direct opposition to the historic direction in Australia of promoting private infrastructure investment. As a consequence, we now have a market where a government-owned monopoly receives taxpayers' funding to compete against alternative private investment, and where competitive private operators are directly taxed to subsidise this monopoly. That's where we are. We've seen consistent mission creep into competitive markets throughout the NBN's existence, but particularly in recent years. I had a few comments to say on it three years ago, but we're still there today. As an example, MBN's latest mission creep into third-party data center facilities and existing competitive market has a direct impact on how we in focus think about investing in new fiber. A government monopoly pushing into contestable market markets can only have a negative impact on private infrastructure investment. MBN describes its organisational purpose as lifting Australia's digital capability. This should not be the purpose of just one company. 
It should be the purpose of our entire industry. My closing wistful reflection for whoever governs in three weeks. Please, 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 after 15 long years, we cannot afford another narrow, short-term, unsustainable, NBN-focused policy. Instead, we need a bit of vision, and we need a balanced, strategic industry policy that helps to promote sustainable competition, encourages private infrastructure investment, and actually embraces, not protects against, but embraces the deployment of new technologies which can uplift our country's digital capability. Now, following Kevin, Kevin's um, keynote, we also heard from Rene Sugo, the CEO of Symbio Networks. And of course, um, Symbio is now coming up to its uh, 20th year anniversary. So Rene's not only been around for a long time, building a very successful telco, but has a sort of keen sense of history in, in terms of uh, where we're coming from and where we're heading. Now, he took some particular exception to the recent emergence of the federal government tipping indirect grants into MBN, which he sees as distorting of the marketplace. Let's hear what he had to say. And that brings us to the MBN itself, our new monopoly infrastructure provider. I find it interesting that the MBS recently received a $480 million grant to improve fixed wireless in regional areas. It's interesting to me for a variety of reasons. Firstly, that the MBN rollout is announced as complete. I was under the impression the MBN would stand on its own two feet in terms of running its business and directing its investment program. Uh, with cash flows, it's certainly able to raise its own funds to drive investment. Secondly, the funding will be given with no apparent competitive tender, uh, no opportunity to confirm the maximum benefits, nor efficient use of that investment. After all, there are a bunch of regional wireless operators who no doubt could stretch such a healthy whack of funds a little further. It is an attempt, oh, sorry, is this an attempt by the government to subtly prop up the MBN to ensure it remains viable and not present a balance sheet risk? Or is it genuinely uh, to improve services for consumers through a handy bit of port barreling for election? Um, I see parallels to the mobile black spots program where for many years grants were handed out to the incumbent with no transparency and no need to provide open access to the fruits of the grant. Is MBN the new black spots program to be used by uh, government to direct funds into marginal seats? How is it that we have not learned from the past uh, on the effective ways to deploy public money such that it creates innovation, competition and new capabilities for our nation rather than rewarding inadequate incumbencies? Luckily for us, the fixed broadband industry is now more than just the MBN. Starlink is finally here, and on all accounts, exceeding expectations for consumers in regional areas. Speaking to my locals, it's been selling like hotcakes, and my regional neighbours are bragging about cancelling all terrestrial-based services due to a tenfold increase in performance. Apparently, their kids are blown away by the clarity of Netflix now that they have the upgrade. Given that Starlink has only launched about 2,000 of its 30,000 satellites in their plan, one can only imagine the service will improve over time. Focus will have to build more earth stations. Starlink won't be the only LEO provider with more uh, of them following soon. While this is a great example of innovation, competition and provides an excellent choice for consumers, part of me worries about becoming too dependent on a foreign-based space service 
partly because it's foreign owned and also it's in space. Uh, two domains outside of our control should there be a crisis. Not to be too dramatic, but we need to keep a sovereign terrestrial capability of sufficient quality and capability to get us through any unforeseen challenges. So, fixed broadband gets the all clear for now, assuming CBC MBM pricing does not kill the goose that lays the golden eggs, i.e. the retailers. Now, later that morning, we were supposed to hear from Optus CEO Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin. Um, regrettably, she she was on. Well, she actually lost her voice, <laughs> which is no good. Um, so her head of regulatory, um, Andrew Sheridan, stepped in at the last minute to, live, to deliver her speech. He 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 re-emphasised some some um, themes he's explored before, um, and, that, and that's in regards to the decreasing levels of profitability of Australian telcos and and what he sees as the inverse relationship to the increasing criticality of telecommunications to the economy. Let's hear what he had to say. We are at an important industry inflection point where we have an opportunity to course correct and to take positive actions which will set our nation on the course that allows us to achieve what I know Australia can do together. Today, our sector faces distortions and inefficiencies which need to be addressed to ensure consumers, businesses, and the broader economy are set up for the success that we have just imagined. It's a fact that telco sector profits have plunged so that today, the smallest of the big four bands earns four times the profits of our entire sector. An analyst report released by UBS just last week noted that industry returns are sub-economic and estimated that underlying return on invested capital for our entire sector fell from 8.3% in 2016 to 2.8% in 2021. That is below the cost of capital for every company in our sector. So why should you care? Why should those outside this room, customers and policymakers, care? Well, to put it simply, businesses that aren't profitable can't invest. And if telco returns are below their cost of capital, which they are, then how long will telco shareholders permit us to invest to roll out expensive 5G? We know the cost of equipment and labor isn't getting uh, cheaper. Lifting prices could deliver those returns now, but that would increase the cost of access for the services that everyone wants to enjoy and uses nearly every hour of the day. So if we don't want huge price rises, and I don't think we do, we need to look deeper at the factors that are impacting our economics. Today, data traffic is growing exponentially, around 40% per annum, and that drives much of the telco investment cost. Now that demand is being driven by a minority of customers the heavy gamers and the content users 
who are driving the need for such massive investment because of the content they are consuming. And at the moment, the reason they consume so much bandwidth is that the over-the-top providers, or OTTs for short, don't have to think about how much bandwidth is used because it is a free good in their eyes. During the heart of the lockdowns, we asked the streaming companies to, to reduce their bit rates so, so that we as an industry could manage traffic. And they stepped up and they did a good job with that and thanks to them for that. But what happened? I didn't see any degradation in service or quality. Nobody noticed. Not one customer complained. So, the fact that OTTs are consuming at least 20% more bandwidth on something that nobody even notices means that we are possibly diverting future value for the whole country by forcing investment into the wrong places to support the wrong things. Add to this the fact that the OTTs not only avoid the cost of investing in access and capacity they consume, they also avoid the heavy burden of regulation that is associated with owning infrastructure. This again falls on the local telcos, the companies which are employing the people in this room and locally and investing in infrastructure locally. And look, this isn't just a plea from a big telco about shifting costs from one company to another. It's in all our interest to solve this problem. The telcos, the consumers, and the OTTs. Why? Well, if our investment is constrained, we won't be able to meet the capacity demands of future services OTTs want to offer and consumers would like to use. So we must strive instead for a win-win situation. Now, in the afternoon of day one, we heard from Nareel Clark, who's the CEO of the Internet Association of Australia. In fact, it was the first time she's addressed a comms day so much in that role, she's, but she's been there for a, a couple of years now. She picked up on a theme that, that comms alliances, John Stanton has also talked about in recent times, and that's the increasing volumes of regulation and in some ways decreasing quality of that regulation at the same time. Let's hear uh, from Narelle and her comments. Be good at running the networks well and running our services well without having to be told that closely about how we should do it. So let's um, go on a bit more. Oh, yeah, I had to mention some traffic patterns to justify this comment about um, the change in network. Yeah, you probably got this last year from at least one, one other player, but um, if you see this here, this giant jump when the lockdown occurred in, in uh, 2020. That is, I can take it off a bit there, but it just really has kept on growing since then. And the big thing that we've, we've seen too is that the, the daily shape of the traffic graphs for the last, well, let's be honest, 30 years that I've been on the, uh, working on the internet, we've always had a sawtooth-shaped daily graph. Well, now it's a square wave. <laughs> you see up the top there, people get out of bed, have a bit of breakfast on it, and hit the internet. Or I think they're still in bed and they're <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> because we've now got this square wave shaped traffic, which 
which is just amazing. But anyway, have a look at that if you want to go and look at some traffic graphs. Back to the regulation. We've seen some regulatory themes over the last couple of years, and that have been, that's been a focus on security, privacy and data rights, the NBN, and online safety. Now, the real concerns that we've had around this is that some of this stuff seems to have been coming through, dare I say, thick and fast. So let's have a look at some of the security stuff, shall we? Over the last few years, we've had you know, the Slave Bill and then, was it the Slacky Bill, the Slacky Bill. We're having a comprehensive review of the electronic surveillance framework. And while a lot of this is probably good stuff, it seems to have come on so thick and so fast and so hard that most of us have barely had a moment to think about it carefully. And when we have had a moment to think about it carefully, we've written rather lengthy submissions to the government and to the government departments and the government processes saying, there's a little issue here and there. Let's just run through some of those ones. So the first one, target those systems which make up critical infrastructure. Now, critical infrastructure is pretty important. But under the definition of all of this, anything that constitutes a telecom network is critical infrastructure. Anything. Any network unit, any piece of equipment, any computer related to it, all the software and systems that sit over the top of it. So I would say that's a little bit broad. It, it's too broad, folks, yes. Um, it, that, that first one is focused on assessing risk, but it also grants Home Affairs the power to have software installed on systems of national significance. And yet we don't really know what the criteria is for a system of national significance. And I don't know about you, but when I install software on my network, we go through a rigorous process of testing that software. We do regression testing, we do forward testing, we do we hit it with some, you know, some load, we, we hit it under load, we hit it without load, we look at this, we look at the interaction between other pieces of software. We don't just get somebody turning up in a trench coat saying, here, put it on here and it'll be fine. We, we go through a bit of effort. So I would like a lot more clarity in what's involved here before we undertake the implementation of this. Um, we don't really, some of this might be targeted towards the big end of town telcos. Okay, so maybe that's, that's fine. And maybe the rest of the market where most of one members exist, the smaller end of town, may not be affected. But the legislation as most of these here apply, apply across the board as in, in the way that it's worded. So we have to assume that it all applies. And in order to be compliant, then you've got to do what it says. Even if you're not ever likely to get somebody with a trench coat turning up with a piece of USB stick saying, we just install this and it'll be fine. And finally, on day two, one of our morning keynotes was Inaki Beretta, who's the CEO of TPG. Now, he... he obviously is defending right now the network sharing deal that TPG has formed of Telstra. He had some comments to make about that in defence of that, but we've, we've heard that before. So I thought it would be interesting to hear some of his views on the themes explored by some of those other carrier speakers earlier in the show. The connectivity we provide has enabled the nation's safe to new ways of work, hybrid working, 
is led to an acceleration in the digital economy and is provided a critical infrastructure other industries such as streaming, gaming, and entertainment have relied, thrive, and enjoy a free ride now. But while our investment and regulatory costs increase year on year, growth in industry revenues has not kept the pace. The fact is, our industry is subject to a level of scrutiny that slows us down, increases our costs, and ultimately impacts how we deliver greater value and greater service to our customers. In an economic environment where inflation and the cost of living is on the rise, we remain one of the most competitive industries I can think of, where customers get more from the service while prices stay relatively flat. To put this in context, recent, recent ABS data shows inflation surged to a decade high of 5.1% over the year, sorry, over the year to March 2022. And while the price of petrol, gas, food, water, beer continue to rise, the cost of telco equipment and services fell 1.1%. Without exaggeration, in many cases, it is cheaper to use your mobile phone for one month than to park for one hour outside of the street. You spend more money on flat whites than you do on your mobile services. And pretty much every Australian does that. As an industry, we want to remain competitive, but we do know we need to have the right regulatory and policy settings to thrive. With this year's election campaign heavily informed by promises of investment and infrastructure for regional Australia, we know the government and opposition have digital connectivity in their minds. Commitments to improving connectivity in peri-urban and regional areas through co-investment programs deserve to be applauded. Such programs play an important role in extending connectivity to places that need it most and will help achieve the ambition to make Australia a top 10 data and digital economy by 2030. Yet, a lack of business readiness for change and a failure to reform the policy regime will detrimentally affect the Australian market. Why risk poor performance due to poor policy and an aversion to the need for genuine reform? Why slow growth and the associated benefits of attracting talent, investment, and innovation to our shores? Connecting customers and businesses to the benefits of ID will only be possible if we create the right conditions for greater competition and continue investment in telco infrastructure. <laughs> and that's it for Comms Day Live this week. We'll return next week uh, revisiting the Comms Day Summit and we'll have a look at what our two political speakers, Paul Fletcher and Michelle Rowland, had to say. Until then, have a good week.